as you know, we're working through a, a series right now called Finding My Way. We're trying to find different ways to navigate in the post-resurrection world and how to create those deeper, deeper life experiences. And so I want to I ask you today, how resilient are you? How resilient are you? To make that more clear, Webster's Dictionary describes it this way. Resiliency is the ability to withstand compression. Take this stress ball right here, this little, little hunk of foam. It's designed to squeeze. Oh, yeah, that's it right there. Yep, I feel good now, right? I feel better. But it's designed to return to its shape. It's designed to withstand a lot of compression. To make it more human, the American Psychological Association puts it this way. Resiliency is the process of adapting well in the face of adversity. It's how we bounce back against the things in our lives. Pressure is not something new to us. Pressure has to be one of the most common themes throughout humanity. It's been sung about, it's been talked about, it's even been drawn about throughout centuries. And as I was writing and as I was working through this message, songs just kept popping into my head. If you remember Billy Joel's Pressure, you remember Queen's Under Pressure, if you're familiar with that song, that tune's kind of rolling around in the back of your head now because it's really, really catchy. Uh, but I was a big fan of Hawk Nelson's Diamonds. God's making diamonds out of us. The pressure that compresses us down is making us diamonds. If you go back even further, in Greek mythology, the Titan Atlas is depicted as holding the weight of the world on his shoulder. This one person is carrying literally the weight of the world, and if he dropped it, the world would just crumble apart. Cartoonists have been drawing about pressure for a long time. There's sketches on social pressure. And if you could see this, these are three kangaroos over here telling this elephant to jump across this cavern because all the cool kids are doing it. I mean, if that's not social pressure, what is, right? I mean, we may not even have the right abilities. We may not be the same body type. We can't jump that far. But we're always trying to keep up and be like the cool kids. You go on to school pressures. Anybody who's in school right now, this says, stuff I got to do. And if you were in my office at any point at the beginning of this semester, this was my stack of books. And you feel the pressure of school as you continue to go through uh, all, all types of studies. You go on to work pressure. Does this describe you at work? This little stick figure trying to balance between your managers, your time, your coworkers, your, your tasks you got to do, getting out those emails. It's all one big balancing act that's trying to crush us down and weigh out what's more important right now versus what we need to get done. But this one's my favorite. And if you can't read this one, it says, Johnson, I'll give you all the time in the world to get this done by tomorrow. I will give you all the time in the world to get this done by tomorrow. I mean, we feel this way. We understand what pressure's like. I mean, when was the last time you asked and said to somebody, you just don't understand the amount of pressure I'm under? I'm pretty sure I said that yesterday. You just don't get it. You don't get the stress that I feel. We all face pressure at different levels and we get it from multiple angles. We get it from our friends. We get it from other personal relationships. We get it from work. We get it from school. We get it from places we volunteer. We get it from sports we play. Unless you're retired and then there's no stress. 
right? Those of you who are retired, you're all good. Everyone, you know, your grandkids don't get on your nerves. But we feel pressure. And for some of us, that doesn't even scratch the surface of the amount of pressure we feel in a given day. Each of these things is pressing on us to perform. It's compressing us like a stress ball. The question becomes, and what I think we need to consider today, is how much can you withstand? Take a look at this scale. This is a chart that maps out performance versus pressure. On this side, you're bore out or bored. You have very low pressure, low performance. And as you move through, you're comfortable. You get stretched a little bit. That's kind of optimum. You're stretched a little bit to push yourself. You drop the curve, you're getting a little strained. Eventually, your productivity goes down and you're just burnt out. If you took a look at this chart today, where would you put yourself? Where would you sit yourself on this chart right now? The level at which you can withstand the pressure of life determines your resiliency. Like a stress ball, we all, we all feel stress at different levels. We all, we all can take and withstand more so than another. If you think of those stress balls that are like a gel inside and you squeeze them and they like pop out of your hand because they're super easy to squeeze. Then you have these foam ones that are like moderate and so, but then you have those ones that are like, they're like a workout. You're really stressed out. You're really feeling it. I was doing two of these earlier this morning because that's just the stress that I feel. But we each can feel it and we, we can take so much on our own. We can only take so much. And there are times that we feel like the weight of the world is kind of just crushing down on our shoulders. If I were to be honest with all of you, I'm there. And I get, I get the stress. There are days in my life right now, in this season of my life, that are so overwhelming that the pressure just, it makes you want to just crack. But what if I told you today, what if I told you right now that there's another way? What if I told you that there was a different way to see all of the stress, all of the pressure? We turn to Scripture. We look to biblical characters who've seen this pressure. Abraham was told to go and sacrifice his child. He felt the pressure. Moses was told to take the Israelite people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea to places unknown. He felt the pressure. Joshua was commanded to take that same people across the Jordan into a promised land to fight the battles. He felt the pressure. And when Peter got called out to claim he knew Jesus, he felt the pressure and cracked. We know how his story went on. But today I want to focus on, on a character who literally felt pressure coming in from every angle. And in the heart of the Old Testament, we see a character named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Babylon during the Jewish exile. He had heard reports that Jerusalem, his home, had been destroyed and is in ruins. And so he cried out to God to make a way for him to go and fix his home. That door was opened. And Nehemiah went home to Jerusalem to rebuild. And as they begin to do that work, the people are invigorated. The people have renewed strength, renewed vision to carry out that good work. So last week, Mike, Mike spent some time talking to you about Delanco Camp. And so I told him that because I'm here this week, it's going to be my turn to talk about Malaga Camp. So um, he said I had to do it organically. So this is, this is where that happens organically. Um, but two years ago, 
we started a process at Malaga Camp um, to rebuild the ice cream store. That may not sound like a lot to a lot of people, but to the kids who go to camp there, to the people who go to Sunday night services and camp meeting, that's a big deal. It's a place where we congregate. It's a place where we fellowship. And, and of course, that's where you get ice cream, right? It's an ice cream store. Um, but two years ago, we assessed the situation there and the, the floor was crowning and you had to walk in kind of sideways to get to the counter. And so we took the process to rebuild the store so that when people come into the camp, they see this beautiful building and then walk to the tabernacle. And as we started that process, there was renewed strength on the camp. People rallied around the idea and started to help out rebuilding. People started fixing up their homes, their yards. They wanted to rebuild life into Malaga. But not everybody felt that. Not everyone felt that vision. There were some who just said, you know what, this is too much change, too fast. We need to slow down. We need to stop traffic a little bit here. And I think Nehemiah saw those people too. And that's where we're going to pick up his story. As, as they're rebuilding the walls, the enemies of the Jewish people are trying to stop that process. The continual fight and the continual work began to take a toll on the people of Israel. So we pick up the story. It's in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 to 17. If you follow along here, it says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. You see the strength there, all of your heart to rebuild this wall. So they got to halfway. There was so much energy into building this wall again. But when Sambalad, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to the Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. So they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it but we prayed we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat meanwhile while all of this is happening meanwhile the people of Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble there's just so much we can't rebuild the wall also on top of that our enemies said Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then, if that wasn't enough, then the Jewish, the Jews who live there near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by their families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies had heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of the men did their work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand 
and had a weapon in the other. A good work had begun in Jerusalem. People were invigorated. Nehemiah set out to do the impossible with his people. And the people had done it with enthusiasm and with gusto. They built half a wall because they did it with all their heart. But as you see in verses 10 and 11, the people, the people were growing tired. They were becoming overextended. And there was enemies coming in at every angle. Can you relate to what's happening in this story? I know the circumstances are different. We all don't wage wars. But you've begun a good work and you're getting worn down. You're tired. You're overextended. You feel the weight of everything just kind of crushing down on your shoulders. To carry through with my story at Malaga, we're two years into the project of rebuilding the ice cream store. We're not done. And everyone who, who started the project with such gusto and such enthusiasm, we're all getting tired. We're all overextended trying to open up camp this year, trying to make sure that everything is ready for, for youth camps to come. There's never enough money coming in to help fund the project. And everyone's just tired. We feel the pressure because everyone wants to know, when's the store going to open? Will it be ready for summer? And the best I can say is, not this year. Hopefully by next year. But we're all feeling that pressure to, to continue this good work. I believe the people of Jerusalem felt this way while they were building the wall. And Nehemiah, as their leader, is continuing to be squeezed and compressed to provide and perform. But you can't miss what what Nehemiah did here. You can't miss this in the story. In verse 9, before he did anything, before he moved forward anywhere, he prayed. He prayed to his God to go before him. Nehemiah knew something that the labor force was missing. Nehemiah's fervor for this project never waned because he knew that the outcome was out of his control. He could withstand a great compression and a great pressure because he believed that God, Yahweh, the creator, was in control of the situation. We see it in his response in verse 14. He tells his people to what? To remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And from that day on, they they continued the work with a renewed strength, with renewed fervor. And they finished the project faster than anyone could have believed. Our lives are not that much different from Nehemiah. Sure, the circumstances are different. This isn't a 21st century world they were working in. But we are under a tremendous amount of pressure each and every day. When we try to accomplish these things on our own, when we try to be like Atlas and carry the world, I feel like there's just two responses there in the end of the day. The first is we begin to look at all of our own accomplishments. Some would say that's where arrogance comes out. It's the mentality of of just come and see what I did. Look and see at me. We can lull ourselves into believing that I can do all things by myself. We don't need anyone or anything, and achievement becomes this ultimate goal. 
the more I achieve, the more I achieve. And when I don't achieve, I get angry at the system. I get angry at the people around me. I get angry at the the work I'm doing. I get angry at myself. The unfortunate part about achievement-based thinking is that it's never enough. It's never enough to continue to achieve. There'll always be more achievements and then we continue to add more things on and more things on because we want people to see me doing the thing to achieve the thing. So we add more and more and press and press and press until ultimately we crack. We fall apart under the pressure because it's too much. There's another way we can go if we believe that everything is up to us to handle. We just surrender. That thing is just too big. That's too insurmountable. You know what? We're never going to be able to complete this. There's too much rubble. We can't do this wall, so we probably shouldn't even try. We should just stop. This is just all too hard for me. Woe is me. Woe is me. My enemies are everywhere. Everyone's out to get me. And there's just this mountain in front of me where there's no end, no success. I think the struggle there is not a lack of achievement. It's the inability to move forward. It's this fear factor that, you know what? I can't do it. I'm not even going to bother. We've built our society on performance-based theology. And what I mean there is that our success or our failure is all about how we perform at any given moment. Athletes train and they train and they train to give the best performance. And when they don't, they go back and they watch the tape so they can figure out what went wrong and do it better the next time. At our jobs, we're given promotions based on our own personal performance and our personal evaluations. Students study and study and study to get the A. And when they don't get the A, they got to go back and redo it. When I was a kid growing up, I remember there was this one spelling test. And uh, I spelled something wrong. And so when I went home, my dad made me write it down until I memorized it. Because I had to get it right. You had to do it better. And I'm not saying that any of these three things is wrong. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with training to be a good athlete. There's nothing wrong with studying to get good grades. But when everything is just about how we perform, there's a problem. We've ingrained this into our culture and it begins to bolster our ego. Or we throw up the white flag and surrender. I think ultimately this comes down to an issue of pride. We've developed the belief that we are the center of our universe. I'm in control of what's around me and it's all up to me to get what I want, how I want to do it, or not. I think the hardest thing to do is to let go of control. Nehemiah could have held on to the control of the entire project. He could have said, everyone look to me. I have the answers. I know what to do. This is what we're going to do next. But I believe Nehemiah saw a third option. He saw a different path to take. And it's right there in verse 9, and then we see it again in verse 14. The first thing that Nehemiah does is pray. And then he tells the people to remember the Lord. Nehemiah found a third option in the understanding that the outcome is not up to us. God is ultimately in control. 
And believe me when I tell you that this is probably the toughest thing to stand here and say. Because every day, each and every day that I work, that I press on, I'm having this argument with myself. Because I believe at times that it's up to me and and the performance is on my shoulders. It's so hard to let go of that control. But ultimately, it's not up to me. The book of Revelation tells us that God opens doors that no one can shut and that he shuts doors that no one can open. What can I do in my little sphere? I think Nehemiah understood this. It's why he could withstand so much pressure of tired workers, of enemies coming in. He could withstand the strain because he knew that God had opened the door to this project. And if we stop and we sit there for just a minute, if we just stop for a second and think about all of that, I think there's freedom there. There's freedom in understanding that we are not in control. First and foremost, I think it's humbling. We're not the center of the universe. We begin begin to understand that we can't survive on our own. We need other believers to walk beside us. We need God to stand with us. We need to understand that there's something bigger working for our good. And we may lose and we may fail. And trust me, this is really hard to say. That's okay. It's okay. Because the reality of it is, is that if I'm not the center of it all, then everything doesn't rely on my shoulders. The world won't fall apart because I let go. I can give the outcome to God and he can work it out for his good. And I become just this humble servant for the kingdom. I think also it it develops this reliance on God. If we're not the center of the universe, then we can't fix everything. We can't fix it all. We need the help from God. And before Nehemiah posted the guards in the face of all of this pressure, he prayed. He relied on God to go before him to fight the battle. If we can understand that God has this, it becomes easier to trust that he's holding it in his hands and that we can go to him through every stressor, through every storm, through every interaction. God has us in his hands. And as crazy as this may sound, there is peace in knowing that we are not in control. We don't see the big picture. It's the proverbial forest through the trees. I can't see the whole forest. I can only see what's right in front of my eyes. The God who holds the world in his hands, who knows the number of grains of sand in the world and the number of hairs on our heads. He sees the big picture. He's working for our good until that good work is complete. We only see the smallest fraction, even though that may feel like a mountain, but we just sang it. You've moved the mountains. We don't see everything. And I think there's a peace in knowing that he does. You see, this is not about success or failure. 
It's about developing a humble resilience to the pressure we face. To be resilient, but humbly. To be able to withstand the compression, but knowing it's not up to us. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we just sit back and wait for something to happen. We don't just sit on our heels and don't do the work. We are called to put in the effort, to put in the work, to put our till to the ground and keep going. I want to leave you with with this story. There were two farmers and they had bumper crops every year, year in and year out. Both men of God, both prayed daily that God would continue to provide the harvest. And then one year there was a drought. The land dried up. It became nothing but just dry dirt. They couldn't get a single thing to grow. Both men prayed for God to provide a way, provide a harvest. And so the one farmer, he prayed and prayed and prayed and said, you know what? I believe that God will provide. And the second farmer, he said the same thing. And then he went out and he tilled his ground. He tilled the dirt moved all the dry dirt around, planted some seeds. And you know what? God provided. God brought a rainstorm like no other rainstorm. And when the harvest time came, there was one farmer who had a bumper crop and another one who just had wet dirt. Who would you say is more faithful in that moment? The one who went out and prepared his fields knowing that God was gonna provide the rain. You see, we're given so much to oversee in our lives. That's different for everybody. It's our jobs, it's our kids, it's our grandkids, it's our finances, our relationships, our volunteerism, our sports, our everything. Everything we do, we're given so much to oversee. And that pressure just builds up and continues to build up on every side. But God is gonna bring the rain. God will provide a way but we've got to prepare our fields. So let me circle back to the beginning. How resilient are you today? When the pressure and stress closes in, are you resilient enough to be humble knowing that God is in control? Have you prepared your field today to withstand the pressure of the world knowing that God will provide the rain? If you're like me, that's a very hard pill to swallow. I go and I go and I go and I go. Sometimes believing that if I stop, then nothing will happen. If I stop, everything will fall apart. But it's the hardest thing for me to understand, and and I've been trying to throughout this whole process of writing this message, is that success or failure is not all on me. It's not all my fault when it goes wrong. The best I can do is the best I can do for God today. I don't have three ways to figure this out for you. It's not that easy because I think we all feel that stress and that pressure at different places and at different times. But if you were to look at this scale again, where would you put yourself? Are you comfortable being stretched? Are you feeling strained? Are you on the, the cusp of burnout? Or are you already burned out? 
it's not an easy question to answer, pressure versus performance. But do you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders today? Is there a mountain in front of you that seems insurmountable? Are you just as happy letting everyone see all that you can do? The question I leave you with this morning is what can you do this week, in this time, in this day, to find door number three? What can you do this week, like Nehemiah, to find the third option? To develop a resilience that humbly understands that God is in control of the outcome and we are called to work just as hard and let him have the results. What can you do this week to prepare your field? Let's pray. God, we give you this time this morning. We thank you that you're in control and we are not. That through every storm, every battle, we give you those results. We give you the outcome. Or at least we try to. God, that you would give us the strength this week to find a way to prepare our field. To give you the glory. To give you the control. To be resilient against the pressure. And know that you have us. It's in your name. Amen.